Hey, would you turn to Daniel chapter 6? We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 6 in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in front of you, or it's going to be in our screen. Tonight, as Pastor Kathy mentioned earlier, we are closing out our series in the book of Daniel, which is all about countercultural living in a hostile culture. Now, the book of Daniel keeps going. The last half of the book are visions, uh, not unlike some of the visions we saw earlier in our series, but we were just looking at the six stories that comprise this book, and tonight we're closing it out. Well, as we've mentioned a few times, this week was Thanksgiving, and I want to say, for the record, I'm so thankful for you all. You know, I meet with a lot of pastors in this season of my life and ministry, and every time I meet with them, I'm reminded of how uh, just wonderful you all are and how it is just a privilege to serve on mission alongside of you. Um, many of you might have traveled, many of you might have stayed here, and as Pastor Kathy also mentioned, many of you might have faced a more difficult time in this holiday as you kind of feel the pinch and the tinge of those that we love that are not celebrating with us. But whatever the case, we hope you had a good Thanksgiving and you are mindful of those things that you're grateful for in your life because then comes Black Friday. After we're done saying thank you, For everything we have, we go out and get a bunch of stuff we don't need. That's kind of how it happens. But I got to tell you that Wednesday, uh, my family was at Walmart, and we've never really participated in Black Friday. If you have, that's okay. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying you know how dark the Black Friday can be. But we were there on a Wednesday, and they already had the piles of the things that they were doing, and we were like, oh, man, look at them. They're getting ready. And then you walk through this aisle and that aisle, and then about 10 minutes later, we start to go, oh, my gosh, that's like $100 off of that thing like wait a minute and like they have all these signs that say hey they're not going to scan until Thursday at six and we're like wow that's that's still pretty crazy but oh wait a minute that's a pretty good deal and it just reminds me of what we're talking about in this series is that our culture is doing everything to lure us into its way and Daniel is a great example of how to live as a kingdom citizen that is distinct from this culture And where we are in the story is the second half of the last story we looked at last week, where Daniel is facing the lion's den. At this point in our stories, Daniel is very old. Daniel was taken as a teenager way back in chapter 1, when his home city and his home temple was destroyed. Daniel was taken before it was all wiped out, and he was enculturated and brought to this area In the Babylonian Empire. Well, the Babylon Empire rose and the Babylon Empire fell. One king came and another went and another went and another went. And now Daniel is very old, decades after the destruction of his homeland. And he finds himself serving another king in another empire. And Daniel has been there and done that. Daniel has also been promoted a number of times. He's faced a lot of hostility, he's faced a lot of persecution, but as this advanced age in the Medo-Persian Empire, the next empire on the world stage, he's still taken some heat. Y'all remember what happened in the beginning of chapter 6? That mean girl group of co-workers was out to get him. They might have been jealous, they might have wanted him out of the way because they knew that the king wanted to make Daniel the right-hand man. So what happens is 
they convince King Darius to put a law into place that says, hey, for the next month, nobody goes and prays to their gods. Everybody goes and prays to this king, which is really unusual for the Persian Empire. But maybe King Darius's ego was fanned and flamed. And he said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So they put it into writing. They put it into law. And then they waited. They waited for Daniel to hear about this law and for what Daniel was about to do next. Do y'all remember what he did? He didn't go run and hide. He didn't go tender his resignation. He did what he did every single day, three times a day. He went up to his room, upstairs, opened the windows toward his holy city that was long gone, but he opened up his windows so that he might let the kingdom of God and its memory waft over him as he looked out toward the hope when God would renew all things. He opened his window toward Jerusalem and he bowed down and he thanked God and he asked God for help. And what he did was broke the law. He prayed to his God and defied the order of this group and that king. So, the letter of the law said that anybody who did this would get thrown into the lion's den. So the co-workers were outside watching and waiting for him to do what he's always done. And they see him praying and then they go to the king and they tattle. But the consequences are more than a timeout. He gets thrown into a lion's den for the night. The king freaked out. Why did he freak out? Because he was about to lose one of his best employees. So he tries all afternoon to try to reverse what's been written down, but it's too late. So the king tosses and turns, and before they roll a stone over the den, he calls out to Daniel and says, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Basically to say, I tried, but this king, me, can't do anything, so maybe your king can And they rolled the stone over the mouth of the den. They sealed it with the royal seal. And then he went and tossed and turned all night, anxious and freaked out because he was about to lose his best man. Now, Christians can't help but read the first half of that story with the stone rolling over the den. They can't help but read that and think of the agony and anguish of Holy Saturday. Do you know what I mean when I say Holy Saturday? We use those terms in our church. Holy Saturday is the in-between day. The in-between day of Good Friday and the horror of the cross. And Easter Sunday, the glory of the resurrection. It's that middle day where you sit And wonder, like Jesus' disciples, after he was sealed in the tomb, and the hopes of his followers seem to be sealed in there with him. And they say, is all our hope lost? And they say, what do we do now? We've been following this guy for three years. We've seen the kingdom of God at work. But now it's buried in the silence, the horrible, agonizing silence of that tomb. And then watch this. Maybe you've asked this question like I have. Can God really do something about this? Do you know what the this is that I'm talking about? Have you lived or are you living in one of the thises that you say, can God really actually do anything about it? I have. Because I believe that Daniel, 
as well as he knew his God, he did not know he was going to make it out. He didn't know if he was going to make it out the other side. Jesus' followers didn't know they were going to make it out the other side. So we pick up our story, just like Easter morning, with some people rushing to the mouth of the tomb, wondering if the nightmare was over and if they would make it out of the other side of death. But whether it's Easter or the story that we're looking at tonight, we're going to see God's surprising power that can't be ignored. And I'm here to tell you, if you are in one of those in-between days, in-between seasons, where you wonder, can God really do this? I pray that you'd have ears to hear and eyes to see that God has and can, and he might even for you, work in ways now that you could have never dreamed possible. So let's read together the rest of the story. I'm going to start in verse 19. So the king rushes to the tomb, right? At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now let's pause there and talk about this first chunk. I love, love, love paying attention to questions that are recorded in the Bible. Do you know that if you went through the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, Jesus asks a lot of questions. Does anybody want to guess in those four books how many questions are recorded that Jesus asked? Shout out a number. A hundred? Okay, what else? I got a hundred over here, a hundred over here. What's up? Six hundred. Somewhere in between 100 and 600. Oh, Kelly's the winner. Price is right rule, she didn't go over. Jesus asks 307 questions in the Gospels. Which is to say something about Jesus. He's always trying to get at the heart of what you think and what you believe, right? But I love to pay attention to biblical questions because I think what it does is it reveals some kind of inner life or inner thought process for us. It's why I'm always trying to ask questions when I meet with people. It's why I'm always trying to ask questions when I'm preaching. You see every week questions on these slides, Because I think what it does is it reveals something about our inner life. Pay attention to the question that King Darius asks. With anguish in his voice, he speaks to Daniel and says, did God save you? What's hidden behind that question is this. Some hope. Would you have gone to the lion's den after 12 hours or whatever the night was and expected to hear somebody answer back that's not a belch from a lion? Hello? But he runs to the mouth of the den, and there's some hope mixed in there. And it's like Darius realizes that if Daniel makes it out, it's only because the God whom he continually serves was able to rescue him from the lions. You with me in that question? So here's the point for us. I think we need to pay attention to the questions that the seekers and skeptics are asking in our neighborhoods of influence. The neighborhoods, right? Our familial neighborhood, our relational neighborhood, our geographic neighborhood, the people we live near, right? 
the social spaces, the co-working spaces, our friends' spaces, and then fifth, that psychographic, which is our shared interest groups. Those five neighborhoods we've talked about in this church, pay attention to the questions that are being asked of you. When something huge happens in the news, like I shared last week, how do you respond to all this violence? Pay attention to those questions because they reveal something of the inner life. And here's the other thing. Like Darius, I believe that the skeptics and seekers are always watching. They're always watching you. They're seeing how you live. They're seeing how you respond to struggle. And they're seeing if you actually live what you profess. They're watching you to see if you're a credible witness to the person of Jesus. Or if you're just going to solidify their misunderstandings or you're going to solidify the stereotypes that they've seen in the media or on TV. They're looking to see if you look like Jesus. Lean in and pay attention and be listeners to those around you, especially the seekers and the skeptics. I love that question that Darius asked because mixed in is that, hey, somebody might answer back. Well, guess what? Somebody does answer back. If you've ever been to Sunday school, you've heard this story. Look with me in verse 21. Daniel answered, right? Those two words in the Bible should be like enough, right? Hey, Daniel answered. This is incredible. If he was there for 10 hours, 12 hours, 20 minutes, spoiler alert, you're going to see some dudes won't last 20 seconds. It's amazing those two words that Daniel answered. Daniel saw the light of a new day after that in-between agonizing, anguishing Waiting. And here's how Daniel responds. He says, may the king live forever, which is a way of saying like, hey, your majesty, my God, right? The God that I wasn't allowed to pray to, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. It's incredible. Look what he says. More than that, they've not hurt me. He must have declawed them too. Because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. Kind of what's at work there is he's basically saying, look, you wrote a bogus law that was even against the Persian constitution. I've been serving faithfully for decades. And here you go, trying to kill me and my friends again. But pay attention. He was found innocent in God's sight. There's two things at work here. There's two common ancient Near East worldviews that are hidden behind these texts. There is this practice of an innocence by ordeal. Have y'all heard of the Salem witch trials? This is a common practice that existed in the Bronze Age, in which most of the Old Testament was written. And it existed all the way up through the 1700s, 1500s, 1600s. And what you see is someone is found guilty of something, right? So in the Salem witch trials, maybe you're a witch. And then a lot of times they would send them to the end of a, a ledge on a high cliff, or they'd put them to burn at the stake, or they would do some water, they would do some poison. For centuries, this innocence by ordeal is someone would say, okay, if you're really innocent, you'll survive this fall, or this fire, or these lions, or this poison, or some indirect means that's just a shade south of me cutting your head off directly. There is this worldview that said... You're guilty, we think, but just so we're clear, I'm going to throw you in this den of lions, and if you're really innocent, your God will rescue you. 
You are a witch, but if you're not, God will find favor and grace on you, and you won't burn or drown or die of this poison. Are you with me? So he says, hey, I was found innocent in his sight. They see this as divine intervention, and isn't it? Because if you've got a number of hungry lions in a dark space, and they smell Daniel meat, it's only by some act of God that he makes it out to answer the next morning. The second common ancient Eastern worldview that's the subtext here happens when we see in verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. Now, cover your ears, kids. Along with their wives and children... One of the things we know about ancient empires is they were brutal and they didn't want anybody sticking around to make a headache for the king to try and take some revenge. So the whole family goes down and look, before they even reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. The Bible is graphic and the Bible speaks to the culture in which it was written. And one of the other worldviews at play you see here and you see throughout the Psalms. We, we read and prayed a Psalm, Psalm 3 tonight. What you see a lot of the times is this worldview. The schemers will wind up being trapped by their own scheme. You with me? It's less about karma and more about a way of saying if you lay a trap or if you live by the sword... You'll die by the sword, is what Jesus will say centuries later. But there's this thing you see often throughout the scriptures that says, may they be caught in their own traps. May the traps they lay overwhelm them. And it's a way of saying what goes around will come around. If you sow wickedness, you'll reap wickedness. And so what's happening is less that God causes. No, this is a violent king in a violent empire and the scriptures attest to this worldview that says look you're going to reap what you sow because if you continue to live in the cycle of violence you're going to add more and more violence the bible is a story of violence but the bible is also a story of how god is calling his people and pulling his people forward to remove themselves from it the old testament is a story of trying to uh, bring together a community of justice and love, and witness to the kingdom of God. And you see this cycle of violence, even with God's people, over and over again. But it's not just bearing witness to this community that God's trying to create. More than anything, it's bearing witness to the person who will come named Jesus, and will actually say, you've heard it said in this Bible, you've seen it in your lives, you've seen it in our ancestors, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. All those things we talked about last week. But we have to understand the culture in which this was written. And we also have to understand our worldview and our trump card is always Jesus. But Daniel, he claims his innocence and he gives credit to the true God. And this is what we've seen in story after story in the book of Daniel, haven't we? Nobody's supposed to Make it out of a people pizza oven. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. 
No one is supposed to understand or get the mystery of some other guy's dream before they even say anything. But God continues to work in power. And know that this story spans decades of Daniel's life. And so it's not that this is happening every week. Can you hear me real quick? If God were to write a story of your life and call it Sid, the book of Sid, you won't see some of these victories probably every single day. You might see some profound, incredible miracles every several years, like we see in Daniel. But I'll tell you what you will see if you had eyes to see. Every day, the little miracles of God sustaining you and giving you your daily bread. And I believe that Daniel was able to sort through these huge ordeals because every day he cultivated a relationship with God that trusted him for all the little ones too. So here's our temptation. Our temptation when we face the lions is this. Will our faith be rooted in trusting God day in, day out, Or will our faith be dependent on our circumstances? If you ask Daniel, hey man, how was that night in the lion's den Airbnb? He would probably say, you know, it was pretty wild. They didn't kill me. But man, it was a rough one. I didn't sleep so great. I didn't know if I'd see the next morning. But I was trusting God. How do you think Daniel spent that night? Trusting, praying his pants off, hello, and probably being patient because each moment was one more moment closer to rescue. So here's the problem. When I am even looking at the mouth of the lion's den, like I'm not even seeing them yet, when I'm looking at the struggle, when I'm looking at the difficulty, when I'm looking at that impassable or immovable situation, I start to be tempted and say, these circumstances are too impossible. These circumstances means that God is sleeping on the job. These circumstances must mean that God is not good or not real. Welcome to the human condition of following an unseen God. But it makes me think of two stories from the same daughter, Emma. Last week, before I came and worshiped with you lovely people, we went to my nephew's eighth birthday party at Texas Stadium. How many of you have been to the greatness of Texas Stadium? I spent a good many Sunday afternoons of my fifth grade year ripping it up at Texas Stadium. I'd throw on my rollerblades, and I would fast skate to Bush and Machine Head, Metallica. Man, I'd be ripping that thing up. I'd couple skate to TLC or KC and JoJo. That was my spot. And so then, two decades later, I'm here with my five-year-old daughter at this birthday party, and I go and rent rollerblades. Bad idea. Then I give my five-year-old daughter, who skated for one hour once in her life, the loosest little skates, roller skates in the world. And then, but now you can rent like this walker thing, right? You've seen it? So she had the walker, and I had my rollerblades, and I was tasked with going around and you know, reliving my glory days. So then Amy and Nora are sitting there because Nora's pounding some birthday cake and she's laughing and looking at us and waving. And so I start to put on a show. When we round the bend, they're playing, no lie, they're playing the same music they played when I was there. 
they were playing Will Smith's Just the Two of Us. And I'm sitting there with my daughter, looking at Amy and my other daughter, and I am start dancing. So I'm coming around, and I start doing my best moves, and I'm weaving and doing this. Where every lap before then, what am I doing? I'm making sure my daughter doesn't break her stinking head. But then Will Smith starts playing, and I start to get comfortable, and I start to dance, and I start to do this to Amy, and she's just going crazy. She's like, oh my gosh, she's so awesome. And she's just looking at me, and she's lost in this moment. And I'm lost in this moment, too. I'm so lost in this moment that I see her face of pure adulation, Amy looking at me. Then she looks down, and she's got a look of sheer horror because my five-year-old is splayed out. The walker is like, shoom, coasting down the rest of the skating rink. And Emma is bawling and holding her backside because she just wiped it and crushed her tailbone. And she looks at me with this face of, how could you let this happen? (laughs) And here's where I'm going with this if you haven't already figured this out. It's not just the pain of falling. It's not just the pain of facing these obstacles that we have to deal with in our life with God. We can begin to look up at the sky and face the pain of the question, are you actually there? And it's not just the pain of falling, it's the expectation, look, that God should never let us fall. This is the pain that hurts. This is the pain that we talk to many people at these fine institutions This is the pain that they are facing. If God is good and loves me, why am I falling? Why have I fallen so low? This is the temptation. I told you I'd tell you two stories. The second story with Emma, this was just a week ago as well. I couldn't help think of this, and I shared a similar story with Nora a little while back. But this one was different. Emma has a nightmare, and Emma's writhing in her bed, and I hear her talking, and I'm a light sleeper, and I run in there, and what do I do? You do what any parent would do. You try to wake them up. You try to say, hey, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's just a dream. It's just a dream. But she was struggling to get up. Like she just looked like she was like super out of it. And she was still talking and screaming. And at this point she was going, no, no, no. And she's trying to fight and she's trying to hurt and she's trying to do all this. And she's looking off when her her eyes are finally like half open, but she's like not seeing me. She's looking around and she's freaking out. And the whole time I'm holding her saying, baby, it's okay. I've got you, baby, it's okay. I've got you, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Daddy's here. And now you might know where I'm going with this. When she could finally see me, she realized that I was holding her the whole time. She just couldn't see me. And here's what I mean. When we face the obstacles and we're tempted to say, God, you shouldn't let me fall, we need to understand that God won't always prevent the difficulties from entering our lives. To follow Jesus is to take up a cross and die to yourself. No one ever said it's going to be perfect and peachy and easy. So we need to understand that God won't always prevent the lion's dens from entering our lives. But God will always be present through them. But that's why we've got to remember and remind each other to keep our eyes on him through the dark times. Because sometimes the night in a lion's den feels like a forever. So I bet Daniel could have used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say he's gotten us through this before. He'll get us through again. 
If you are in a lion's den, would you keep your eyes on your father? If you are along and in community with someone in a lion's den, would you come alongside them and say, hey, keep your eyes on me, keep your eyes on him. He's gotten you through before, he'll get you through again. Because faith for Daniel, we talked about this last week, is not believing in spite of evidence, but obedience in spite of consequences. That's what Aaron texted me from another preacher. Faith for Daniel is not believing in spite of evidence, but obedience in spite of consequences. What that means is faith says, this sucks, but I'm going to trust you and follow you through it. And then this is why, because the second thing we said about faith is this. It's a relationship of trust, not a certainty of belief. Because here's what I'll tell you. You will not know why this is happening. The Bible itself is a record that doesn't concern itself so much with why. Every time somebody wanted to come to Jesus and say, why is this happening, or why not this, or why not that, he says, no, no, no. You think about you and your life right now and get on board with the kingdom. It's not for us to know why, it's for us to know what. And the what is that God will not leave us or forsake us, and no one can snatch us out of his hand. Faith is a relationship of trust, not just a certainty of belief. It's a relationship that says, this lion's den is terrible, but I'm gonna continue to look to you, to pray to you, and wait and see the light of the morning, even if it might be, not be in my time frame. Because Daniel knew that God could rescue him, but he didn't know that God would, okay? I think we have enough to guess at that. But look again at verse 23 with me. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found at him. Why? Do you see it? It's at the end of 23. Because what? He had trusted in his God. Whoever compiled the book of Daniel wanted us to know that God rescued him and Daniel trusted in him, in God. So how can we develop that kind of trust, that kind of relationship of trust to help us through the dark nights, right? This is our next slide and our next stab at how we live this countercultural kind of life. How can we develop that relationship of trust to help us through the dark nights? At least two ways. Our prayer and memory. Prayer and memory. Here's what I mean, prayer. I believe that prayer rooted Daniel in the kingdom of God and reminded Daniel to follow the kingdom way in spite of darkness, persecution, or the consequences. Surely his faith or trust in God grew out of a life of prayer. Prayer rooted Daniel in the kingdom of God when the kingdom of Judah was long gone. And it reminded Daniel how to follow the kingdom way even though the temple was long gone. Prayer rooted him in that relationship. <clears throat> I want to share another quick story of how prayer reframed a difficult real life situation. Because I don't want you to ever walk out of this place thinking all oh, that sounds nice, but it's like impossible, and everything you talked about doesn't sound livable. One of the things I want to keep reminding us, especially next year, is that everything that Jesus asks of us, he gives us the ability to live. He gives us his very self. So here's a real life example that's not just the big pie in the sky lion's den moment, but this is a real life parenting moment. So there was a mom that shared this story with me about a son that was going through a really difficult time. <clears throat> After a really good stretch, 
he had a really bad day. And he was just inconsolable. He's the, he, he would beat himself up and he just felt bad. He felt bad about life. He felt bad about his choices. He felt bad about how bad he felt. Everything was going wrong. He was crying. He was frustrated. He was all this kind of thing because he didn't have this, the, the tools at that moment to express himself. So mom is trying to console him. Mom is trying to hold him. Mom is trying to talk with him. But none of it seems to work. If you've been a parent, you've been in this situation. This is a real life situation. But after all of this, his mom said, you know what, I'm going to try this thing we do in church when we say the thank you prayers, right? The thank you, would you? She said, let's just go around and let's just start saying some thank you, God, for. She started doing the laundry list, right? Thank you for a house. Thank you for our family. Thank you for the ability to communicate when we have a hard time. Thank you for the fact that you're here with us, God. Thank you for this couch. Thank you for this lamp. She probably started going anchorman on it, right? And just started naming things in the room like that guy Brick did. But she's getting the list longer and longer and longer and longer. And as the list gets longer, he begins to calm down. And he didn't only calm down. What did he do? He began to join in with her. And it's just a real life example of how gratitude in prayer is a great antidote to the bitterness and darkness that seems to cloud our vision. It helps gets us above the storm to see a different view of how much we really have. Prayer is one of the ways we can foster that relationship of trust. The second way is through memory. Daniel probably remembered that night all the times that God had rescued he and his friends in the past. And it helped him build a confidence that God might do something again. But the problem with me is I have such a short-term memory. I have a short-term memory. And I don't just mean because I forget to buy milk when I'm at the store. I mean that I have to write the ways that God has been at work in my life because I can hardly remember those big stories from five years ago, much less 50 years from now. We need to help foster a memory that says, God, you've done this in the past, and it helps produce that hope for the future. So let's round out our story. Daniel lives through the night, and we pick it back up in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. That's a common phrase in Daniel, because that empire basically covered all the people's languages and spots in the known world. So he writes another king, another edict about how God has been at work. And we close this series, we close this story, basically pulling together all the three big ideas for this series we've looked at each week. Let's see what he says. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree That in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. It's a far cry from the beginning of this chapter, yes? But it's hard to ignore God and his power when he acts so mightily. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. Is that not the subtext of this whole book? Even though their kingdom on earth seemed to be wiped out, God did not take a vacation, 
Even though his people were scattered, God was still with his people. And even though these kings come and go, God doesn't come and go. God remains. Every four years, we'll have some new people in some new offices. And God will not be phased, and he'll say, yeah, guess what? My kingdom is still the answer. And it will be, and it is now, so get on board, because that's what makes lasting change. And we see this time after time after time after time. Because why? Verse 27. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. You know what I love about that decree? It's the huge things, but it's also Daniel's story. And I think not only to pay attention to the seekers and skeptics and their questions and to listen to them, I think also lean in and don't waste your story. Say, I may not have all the answers, but I'll tell you my story and I'll tell you how much my life was a wasteland and then God put the pieces back together. I'll tell you what a mess I was and still am, but God is renewing me and God is evident in my life and God is at work and he's helping change my circumstance and he's helping to change my perspective. Don't waste your story. I love that in that edict that went out to every single person in the known empire, Daniel's story is included. He was rescued from the lions. Don't discount your story. Well, I don't have one of those awesome testimonies that I hear at the AA and NA meetings. Well, guess what? Your story that you're alive and with God and he is with you when you are depressed is a story worth sharing. How God was with you and gave you what you needed when you didn't have anything and he supplied it, that's a story worth sharing. But I love how he ties together our three big themes at the end of these stories. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. There's some confusion as to who Darius is. He might well be Cyrus the Persian. You might read that as Darius, that is Cyrus the Persian. But what we know is in those big ideas that God and his kingdom are always active and eternal. We saw this in the visions and in the lives of the exiles as the other kingdoms, Darius, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, as all those dudes came and went. We see that God and his kingdom are always active and eternal. So the question for you as we draw to a close is this. In what ways has God and his people been a source, excuse me, in what ways has God been faithful this last year as the seasons have come and gone. We're drawing to the close of 2017. Next week marks the church's new year with the season of Advent. It's a season of hope. As you look back on 2017, can you name right now and write down one or two ways that God has been faithful as the seasons have come and gone? Our second big idea that we've looked at is no matter how dark it looks, the light is always winning. We saw this when the exiles faced death, but they still looked toward a future hope. Time and time again, they were threatened and persecuted and oppressed. And so you, you say, what are my hopes for next year? Are we a people of hope? Our third big idea is we live as a kingdom alternative in a hostile culture. We saw their examples as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worked in the public sphere of a hostile empire 
with a public faith. They didn't download or downplay the fact that they were faithful to their God and his way. So maybe think about these questions. In what ways are you being called right now to follow the distinct way of Jesus in the kingdom of God in those neighborhoods of influence? You just spent some time perhaps with some of your family. In what ways are you called to be distinct in a way that looks like Jesus in humility and love, not arrogance and pride? But in what ways are you called to be distinct? Is it how you spend this year? Is it how you give this year? Is it how you respond to hostility like we looked at last week? Or is it how you speak up for what's right when the talk at the dinner table tends to shade more like our culture and not the kingdom? How do you go to work? Daniel prospers in a place that was hostile. Finally, I love how these stories in Daniel don't close with his frustrated resignation and say, you tried to kill me one more time, that's it. Try to kill me once, shame on you. Try to kill me twice, shame on me. He doesn't resign. The last verse of these stories that opens up the next half of the book says that Daniel stuck it out in the hard place with the hard people. And I want to close this series in this story with this quote. The God of Daniel is still the king of heaven and earth. His kingdom still rules the kingdoms of this world. He can deliver, and he often does. But he calls his people to faithfulness and integrity in our everyday lives, whatever the cost. He calls us to build our lives on the values of the kingdom of God, not when we all get to heaven, but in the here and now. That's from Christopher J.H. Wright. So as I ask the worship team to come, may we all live lives of faith and trust and distinction in the hard places with the hard people because we are citizens of the kingdom of God that has come, that is now, and that will be forever. Amen. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's power so that he may raise you up in the last day. Throw all your anxiety onto him because he cares about you. Be clear-headed, keep alert. Your accuser, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Do so in the knowledge that your fellow believers are enduring the same suffering throughout the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, the one who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, empower, strengthen, and establish you. To him be power forever and always. Amen. Go in peace.